Sermon on the Mount contains some of the most familiar sections in the entire Bible, like the Beatitudes, the salt of the earth and light of the world, which we'll talk about next week, the Lord's Prayer and the Golden Rule, the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, do not judge. But it also contains some of the most shocking and even unrealistic teachings you'll ever hear, like love your enemies, be perfect. If someone sues you, you give them even more than what the court allows. Turn the other cheek, blessed are the persecuted. I mean, that is stuff, if you think about it, nobody would say today. And what Jesus is essentially saying, I believe, in this whole sermon is, you be different. You have different values and goals and a different mindset. You have a different approach to life. In fact, he says, you be different from worldly people, or pagans, he calls them. Uh, people in the world, they'll worry about clothing and shelter, but you, you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. People in the world, they'll just babble on and on and on when they pray and they think they'll be heard. It doesn't work. You don't be like them. And he also said, surprisingly, don't be like religious people. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees, your righteousness must exceed that of the religious people. You be better than the preacher. The religious people, like preachers, uh, they'll say you shouldn't commit adultery. Jesus said, I say, you don't even look. The religious people think that if they don't murder, they're keeping the law. I say, don't even hate. See, religious people will always have this temptation to make religion manageable. Got to tame Jesus, you know. He didn't really mean that. He said, you have a different value system, different from both the irreligious and the religious. Now, these eight weeks, we're going to look at some different facets of living Jesus' life from this sermon, the most famous of Jesus' sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And today, we're going to look at promises of living the Jesus' life. The opening section of the sermon is called the Beatitudes, and they're just simply blessings that he pronounces. So let's read these, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said, now I want to read these antiphonally. I'll read the first line, and you read the second line. I'll read the blessed are, you know, and you read the for theirs is part. And as we do this, I want you to be thinking how crazy these are. The people Jesus pronounces as blessed are not who we would consider blessed. Antiphonally, I'll do the blessed are you, for theirs is. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you. Isn't that amazing? Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus pronounces blessings on certain people. Later in the gospel, Matthew 23, he pronounces some woes on people. So here we have a list of blessed people. And then in Matthew 23, he turns around and gives you a list of non-blessed people. And I want to read just part of Matthew 23. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you. Woe to you, blind guides, you blind fools, you blind men. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape from being condemned to hell? Tell us what you really think, Jesus. You know, people today think Jesus is this nice, sweet, kind, gentle, effeminate, you know, hippie from the 60s, you know, flower guy, you know, flower power. Gag, you know, that's not Jesus at all. You just, whoa, look out. But in the Beatitudes, these are the ones who are blessed. And if you look at the two lists, Jesus' list of who's blessed are all the wrong people. And the ones who are not blessed are all the right people. Religious leaders, and the respected, the powerful, and even the rich. And it's another example of how the radical, upside-down nature of Jesus' teaching. So let's look at these eight Beatitudes. There's two halves to them. Uh, in the left-hand column, there's the traits and the characteristics of those who are blessed. The right side are the rewards. The right side is the good stuff. Kingdom of heaven, comfort, you know, inherit the earth and be filled. You know, we, we love heaven. We love Easter and we love the resurrection, you know, the happy ending to it all, and we win. And that's the right side of the Beatitudes, and, and that's the fun side. But that's only half the story. On the left are the precursors to heaven, and these are not always so wonderful, and at least not easy, like poor in spirit, mourn, meek, merciful, pure in heart, and persecuted. So I'm going to suggest to you that the two sides of the Beatitudes represent the two fundamental sides of the Christian faith. The two most important events for the Christian faith would be the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I would suggest to you that in the Beatitudes, the first column is the cross and the second column is the resurrection. And before we can experience the reward, we have to experience the cross, the death part. Before Easter, you got Good Friday. And that's true in our walk with Christ. The first half of the Beatitudes is the death part and the hard part. The second half is the reward part and the resurrection part. So I'm going to suggest for your outline, the Beatitudes contain the death sentence of the disciple and then, of course, the reward of the disciple. Paul said, if we died with Christ, that's the left side, we believe we also will live with Him, that's the right side. Baptism is the same thing. It's both a death and a resurrection. It's a watery grave. We're buried. We die to that old self, and then we rise to walk in a new life. You have to go under before you can come up. And it's just like farming. A seed has to die and be buried to produce new life. So the Beatitudes is the call of the disciple to die, and then you will be blessed. Each one of these Beatitudes is called to die in some way. Now, the word for blessed is sometimes translated happy, Others translate it fortunate. It's something good, obviously, that happens. I like the phrase, approved by God. God approves of these people, and they will live with him forever. God's blessing will be on the poor in spirit, the, the meek, those who hunger for righteousness. These are the ones God will grant his goodness. Matthew 23 is those who God does not approve of, hypocrites and bad leaders and blind guides. If you ask most people today who is blessed, who's fortunate, would it look like this list? You know, a blessed person today, I think you've asked most people, well, they have money, uh, they're healthy, they got a nice family, they have good friends, they have a good job, they have a nice house, they have a Lamborghini, and 
Bears season tickets, right? They got everything. Right? Right, because then they can go and see the Packers play. Anyway, how many of these items that we would list today are on Jesus' list? None of them would be. Jesus said, you be different. You have a different way of thinking. And yet these Beatitudes are not commands. Um, What are they? They're promises. Jesus is not telling us to become poor in spirit and become a mourner. He's just saying that the poor in spirit mourners will be blessed. So Matthew 5, 3 through 12 is spoken by Jesus to encourage us and to give us comfort uh, to his followers, especially when we're going through hard times. And the first half of each beatitude depicts the present. The second half foretells the future. There's a juxtaposition of two radically different situations, and Jesus wants the trials and struggles of following him to be muted by the contemplation of the world to come. Now, this doesn't exclude the implied moral demand. We are to become what these Beatitudes put forth. We are to hunger for righteousness. We are to be pure in heart and merciful and peacemakers. But they're not commands. They're promises to those who will die and follow Jesus. So Jesus begins his sermon with promises, and then we'll find out eventually he ends his sermon with warnings in chapter 7. End times promises and then end time warnings. Now, do you know how many promises there are in the Bible? Anybody ever hear this? I, by one count, anyway, there's 3,573 promises. So I thought, my next sermon series, I'm just going to talk about all the promises in the Bible. We're going to take one a week. And I got on my calculator, it'll take 69 years to go through this. So get ready. Uh, up to now in Matthew... Jesus has been baptized, he's been through the temptation, uh, he's been preaching and healing, and Matthew 4, right before the sermon, provides some context, and I think we need to read this. As Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, now this is right before the Beatitudes, healing every disease and sickness among the people, news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Now, notice who he comes to. Not the wealthy and the healthy and the popular. I mean, he's coming to the poor, the sick, the demon-possessed, the paralyzed, those having seizures. And Jesus heals and preaches to them, showing that the good news is available even to those who we would say are not blessed today. And then he gives us these beatitudes, and he just confirms what he just did. Blessed are those people who are poor in spirit, and those who mourn and are meek and persecuted. A group that most people would say is not blessed. So these are promises that the kingdom is available even the losers of life. These are the people that no one else would say is fortunate. These are the ones that no one else would say is blessed. And Jesus blesses them even though they live on the wrong side of life. And if we were to put it all together and I were to interpret this in one sentence, it would be a blessed person is someone who, because of a heart for God, is promised and enjoys God's favor regardless of their status or condition. You'll be blessed no matter who you are as a follower of Jesus and how hard things can be. We could call these unlikely winners. And we could add to this list, blessed are the unpopular, blessed are the ugly, Blessed are the unemployed, blessed are they who smell bad, blessed are the twisted, misshapen, and deformed, blessed are those who are too big, too little, too loud, blessed are the bald, the fat, and the old, the dropouts, the burned outs, blessed is that annoying person sitting next to you, Uh, blessed is the HIV positive, the brain damaged, the incurably ill, the depressed, the incompetent, the stupid, blessed are the losers, blessed are people who text and drive, Um, blessed are those who air their dirty laundry on Facebook, (laughs) 
Blessed are those who love NASCAR, you know, people like that. Ugh, losers. Anyway, someone, someone said, earth has, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. You'd be surprised how many people don't think the gospel could ever apply to them. I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not wise enough. I don't know the Bible well enough. I'm too prejudiced. I'm just too stupid. I mean, they don't think they could ever be comfortable in a church building. I've got too many hang-ups. <laughs> the promise is we've all got hang-ups. It's for all of us. Poor in spirit. There's two words for poverty in the New Testament. One is for those who uh, have to struggle to make it get by, you know, they work for a living and they don't have anything superfluous, they have a hard time. But the other word for poverty, and the one used here, is the word for absolute poverty, nothing at all. Blessed is a man who has nothing at all in his spirit. This guy has no self-pride. He's desperate, there's no arrogance about him, life stinks, lost a lot, hit bottom, and the gospel is for them. See, poor in spirit can be blessed because they're the ones who see their need for help. There's no self-righteousness. Psalm 34 says the Lord is close to the broken heart and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The opposite is would be rich in spirit. Those who think they're okay. The self-confident, I'm okay, I'm good, you know. And the poor in spirit are the humble and the desperate. Jesus uh, gave an example of this when he told the two men who went to the temple to pray and one stood up and prayed publicly. You know, everybody could say, I thank you, Lord, that I am not like other people. He was proud in spirit. He thought he was okay, high self-esteem and holy and righteous. And the other one came and he fell on his knees and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was destitute of spirit and emptied himself and threw himself at the feet of Jesus. And this is so countercultural, this first one, because a lot of things you'll see on Facebook, you'll see on commercial, it's just all around us is be yourself. You're worth it. I got to be me. High self-esteem, you know, that's a big thing. And it's almost as if we're trying so hard to convince ourselves that we're okay. Just be yourself. I'm going to be me. And there's always some elements of truth to every heresy. I, I know there's some truth to that. But I've got some news. When I am myself, I'm often self-destructive. It's not blessing. Be God's self. Empty yourself and let God come in. Let's have a little humility. We could use some poverty of spirit. See, contrary to what everyone else is saying today, and they're just saying, you need to be rich in spirit. No. Being yourself is not going to bring you the kingdom. Emptying yourself will open you to life. So poor in spirit, I'm going to say, is die to pride. Blessed are those who mourn. Again, it's a very strong word for mourning. It's those grieving as if they've lost a loved one. What causes these people to mourn? Well, it could be tragedy. Maybe they mourn because they paid a price to follow Christ. It could be they mourn their sin. Or maybe they mourn because of all the bad in the world. They see righteous suffer and evil prosper. They, they, they see uh, you know, the refugee stuff going on in Europe, and they mourn. Now, we'd rather laugh. We pay big bucks to comedians and preachers to make us laugh. <laughs> the good life, you know, is, is the laughing life, you know, this constant high. We don't like mourners. They're wet blankets. I mean, who wants to be around criers? They're just too serious. But mourners know there are some things to mourn in this world and, and in themselves. And they will be comforted. Revelation 21 says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the promise. Now, some of you love baseball. Some of you like movies and concerts. You know, I like, I like football. Some of you like NASCAR. You know why? Part of it is just an escape. It's fun. It's relaxing. 
Because we don't want all of life to be too serious. We need these mental breaks. That's okay. But for many, sometimes these things become almost like a religion and they become a diversion that we so focus on that we never ever really have to deal with the deeper things in life and never ever really mourn. We just go from one diversion to another, one entertainment to another. Blessed are those who mourn because they died to a shallow life. They see what's going on and they grieve. The meek are at the mercy of the powerful. They have no real power. Jesus said the last shall be first. This one speaks of submission. Uh, it also carries the idea of putty to be able to be formed by God. Jesus was meek. Moses was called meek. So it's not weakness. It's the idea of submission, uh, strength under control. I like that definition. The meek and not the powerful will inherit the earth. The meek die to their lust for power. They don't always have to get their way. Hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who want to live in line with God's will and they are tired of the evil in the world and they're tired of the evil in their own lives. It doesn't say blessed are those who have attained righteousness, but those who hunger for it, they crave it. And the word, again, a very strong word, it's an idea of craving, begging for it, it's a deep desire. And I think that's important because a lot of people, you know, everyone here, oh yeah, we admire righteousness. And they think righteousness is a good idea, but don't necessarily crave it. Hunger for righteousness is to die to apathy. Crave it. Crave for that kingdom to come and make things right. The merciful are compassionate, able to forgive. The word mercy carries the idea of getting inside the other person's skin until you can see things with their eyes and feel things with their feelings and think things with their mind. Literally, it's going through what the other person's going through. It also carries the idea of giving to others, sharing your wealth with others. Um, merciful would be dying to indifference. I really care. Pure in heart literally is a simple heart, a heart undivided in allegiance, hearts and minds given to one purpose. Jesus said, you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of extortion and wickedness. They were hypocrites. Blessed are those who clean both the inside and the outside. Those are the ones who see God. So pure in heart, they died to hypocrisy. They're genuine. Peacemakers are reconcilers. They bring people together. Peacemaking is not necessarily pacifism or tolerance or just niceness. Some passivity and tolerance is actually the source of trouble. It's peacemakers, not peace lovers. It's active, not passive. And these people actively seek to make peace between people and also to bring peace uh, with people in God. And we may have some differences within the body of Christ, but we can still have a love that transcends those differences and permits us to work together in spite of those differences. Blessed are those kind of people. They will be called sons of God. Peacemakers die to conflict. You know some people who just like to fight? Woe to them. Persecution is the longest one. Following Jesus will not put us on a different path, will put us on a different path, and not everyone will appreciate that path. You will pay a price for following him. Blessed are you. The persecutor died to an easy life. So those are the promises to people who don't look too promising. And they're also a call to die so that we can live. One of my favorite sports moments in history was 1980. What happened in 1980 sports-wise? Anyone know? Miracle on ice. Yep, Lake Placid, New York, U.S. hockey team. 
maybe the most unlikely sporting uh, upset my generation has ever seen. You weren't even alive when that happened. <laughs> the U.S. hockey team was supposed to be pretty good, but it wasn't even fair to throw these college amateurs into the same rink with Soviet professionals. How many of you remember that? Are you old enough? Yeah, it was a great... I still remember where I was that day it happened. And uh, anyway, these amateurs were going to go up against these Soviet professionals, and these Soviet professionals had already humiliated NHL teams that year. I mean, defeating the best professionals of Canada and the United States. I think they beat an all-star team uh, from the NHL like six to nothing, and they'd already defeated this American team like 10 to three. I mean, just blew them off the ice. Now, I'm going to show you just a brief video of this. I hope you appreciate it. The U.S. is ahead four to three. There's a minute left. The Americans are white. The Soviets are in red. So, Watch this. Now Petrov controls. Back to Parlamov. Skating in on the left side. Into the American end. 55 seconds. But Mikhailov has the puck. Mikhailov sweeping in. Out in front. Backhander goes wide. And then Craig might have got a twisted piece of it. Mikhailov. Back out to Billy Legendov. 43 seconds remaining. Morrow. Checked into the boards. It comes back to center ice. 38. 37 seconds left in the game. Petrov with it. The Americans on top, four to three. Long shot. Craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away. 28 seconds. The crowd going insane. Carlamov shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. Billy Lekhanov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. I still get chills when I watch that. It's great. I think heaven might be something like that. A lot of celebrating by some unlikely winners. The reason people ran to Jesus, he gave them hope. To the poor in spirit, to the meek who had no power, to those who are hungering for some righteousness and they want peace and they're persecuted. And Jesus is saying the celebration is waiting for you. I went to a little bit of an unusual funeral a couple years ago, and I like other funerals. There were songs and sermon and scripture reading, but it was a funeral for two people, for a grandpa and a granddaughter. And grandpa had already been ill, and, was in, and uh, his death was somewhat expected. The granddaughter, before she was born, was discovered to have no kidneys, and the water in the womb was drying up. And after she was born, she lived for just a brief time. Grandpa was 75 years old, the granddaughter about 75 minutes. Grandpa was a Christian, the granddaughter, innocent baby. 
and no doubt they're together celebrating. And what I loved about the funeral, the granddaughter's name was Hope. And our hope is just not in this world, anything this world has to offer. Is it? List, tell me where there's hope in this world ultimately. Are you counting on the stock market? Seriously. Are you banking on American ingenuity? How about politics? I mean, Jesus begins the sermon with hope for those who seem to have none. And in reality, none of us has hope in this world. All of us are poor in spirit. All of us mourn and all of us meek and we hunger for righteousness, whether we acknowledge it or not. And here's another thing. Hope is not a when. Hope is not a why. Hope is not a how much. It's not a what. Hope is a who. Things don't get better just because we want them to. They get better because somebody does something. See, hope is always embodied in a person. Shareholders hope the new CEO can turn the company around. Citizens hope a new leader can get their country back on track. Sports teams hope that that coach can lift their team out of the doldrums. Hope is a who. Somebody wise enough, somebody strong enough, good enough to get us to a better place. Jesus is that who. His resurrection proves it proves that he's stronger than any setback and any failure, any loss or any disappointment. See, life has a way of killing dreams for a lot of people. Jesus has a way of bringing them back to life. And that's a promise. Let's pray. Father, I want to be blessed. I want your goodness and your approval. And I know that kind of blessing is not available in this world. It comes only to the one who came to heal the diseased and the disenfranchised and the unfortunate. It comes through the only real hope, which is a who. And Lord, I pray, may we die to our pride, die to our lust for power, die to our apathy, our indifference, our hypocrisy, and find real life in living the Jesus life. Living for this Jesus whom you sent so that we can be blessed. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Mm -hmm.